HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit internationalculinarycenter.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd. I'm your host, Greg Blaze, and today we're going to be doing the first of a four-part series um, that we thought was pretty interesting on uh, cheesemakers and uh, cheesemongers at old school versus new school, or not versus, but, well, maybe versus, depending on uh, who talks to who. Um, So we were going to get some cheesemakers in the booth and on the phone um, that have been sort of take, taken a different path and started at different times. Uh, cow cheesemakers today, and then we're going to do goat, and we're going to do sheep, and then we're going to do cheesemongers last. But we thought we would start with cow cheeses because why not? Everybody loves cow cheese. Everybody loves all cheese. And everybody loves all cheesemakers. So here with me today, I have um, Jos Volto of the Volto Creamery, uh, a cheesemaker um that is uh, is putting out some great washed rind cow cheeses, and he has not been a cheesemaker for a long, long time. Um, although his cheeses are um, are spectacular and uh, reminiscent of someone who has a ton of experience making cheese, and we also have on the phone, and Yos is here with me. Hello, Yos. How are you? Hello, Greg. I'm good. <laughs> Yos made it here. Um, all the way from another part of Brooklyn, which uh, is hard to do on a holiday. Um, and then I have on the phone um, Franklin Peluso. Hello, Franklin. Uh, hello. <laughs> Thank you very much for uh, asking me to be on. Absolutely. Um, Franklin is a third-generation cheesemaker, um, and he makes the estimable Franklin's Teleme, uh, which is a really unique and wonderful soft cheese from California. And uh, Franklin, um, how long have you been a cheesemaker? Well, I've been making uh, cheese uh, since the mid-70s, although my family has, had made it before since, the, uh, since about the time of World War I. Wow. 
That's quite a tradition. Um, you, so your dad, you took over for your dad, and uh, your dad took over for your granddad, I take it? That, that's right. And, exactly um, so. That's interesting. Um, so you're 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 part of a of a cheese making family, obviously, in a great dairy state. You're out in California, and um, that's um, that's interesting. How did how did your family start making cheese, and why? Well, uh, my family uh, started making cheese at the time when there were many Italian immigrants in in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, the, the cheeses that we made were styled after many of the cheeses that they could get in Italy or had gotten in Italy. And then when World War II came along and there were embargo, there was an embargo on all products from Italy, uh, the business grew dramatically because these cheeses were no longer available. But telling me uh, the cheese that uh, I make today, much like my grandfather and father before me, uh, is reminiscent of softer cheeses made in northern Italy, and that's been made in my family since 1927. They were making cheeses in, uh, they were ma- but, so the tradition of making cheese started in America, though, for, for your family, or? That's correct, they, yes. Cool. Yes. They brought their, their passion and their food with them. And Yos, how did you start making cheese? How did you come? How did you come to be a cheese maker? I don't exactly know, but I did start making cheese about six, seven years ago here in uh, Brooklyn. Really? In my so, kitchen, yes. And, uh, and what uh, what style of cheeses do you make? Um, at the moment, I mainly make. Uh, well, my two major cheeses are two washed rind cheeses. One is called the Oli Out. It's based on. Loosely based on Taleggio Reblochon style, and um, it's it's a soft, pungent type style of cheese. And then I make a small, smaller one, a little harder, uh, washed in absinthe, uh, which is called the Miranda. And when you started to make cheese, what was what like? So Franklin, Franklin is um, seems like you know cheese. Well, your family started to make cheese. You know, out of a, out of a want and need of, to provide people that were of a certain, coming from a certain place and certain culture with things that reminded them of their culture and uh, made them comfortable with things they like to eat. Um, and what what inspired you to be a cheesemaker? Yes. I probably inspired my inspiration was probably my that I had time on my hands. I didn't want to change career. <laughs> Wait, you had a bunch of what? <laughs> change of career. Uh, but really. W- did you just have a massive amount of milk lying around your house, and you just decided? Well, no. Well, I uh, I had a place upstate, so I uh, went upstate a lot, and I had uh, contacts with the dairy community there. So I had a plenty of uh, um, sources of uh, raw milk to get. And your cheese is made of raw milk. Yes, definitely. Tell yes, me. Yes, no. I I don't think you can make good cheese from pasteurized cheese. Really? Pasteurized milk. But your cheese is pasteurized, uh, isn't it, Franklin? Yes, all my cheese. I make several different types of cheeses, and it's all pasteurized. But you, but your cheese is uh, is fantastic. Why, why, why can you make such good cheese out of pasteurized milk? You know, I, uh, it's for me. It's difficult to tell the difference between two pieces of cheese, one raw and one pasteurized. Although I know many people claim the raw milk is better because of the there's no enzyme destruction and so forth, but uh, 
I'm not sure. My feeling has always been that the taste is mostly in the perception of the person eating it rather than in the actual flavor of the cheese. But I I have made raw cheeses before. Uh, In fact, uh, in the early 80s, we made a number of different types of raw cheeses, and I could never see the difference. But the gamble, the the potential for for, uh, a problem, is, of course, much greater with raw cheese than with pasteurized. Absolutely. And that, actually, that, that's interesting, uh, sort of a segue into another question I wanted to ask both of you. Um, now, when, now Yoshi, you, you, make a, you make a smaller amount of cheese. I know this because yes. I've, I've, I've made cheese with you, yes. <laughs> which was fantastic. Franklin, I want to come up and make cheese with you, too, sometime, if I could. I don't You're know more about. than welcome. Awesome. That's great. That was my real purpose of asking you to come on the show. We can just <laughs> shut the show down right now. <laughs> no, um, but... Safety and the gamble. Uh, I think, in my in my opinion, as a as a cheesemonger um, spanning some time, um, is that I uh, I feel like inspections and safety are just so. I feel like it's harder and harder to sell and make cheese. Would you agree with that? Would you would you, do you would you agree that there are the rules are much more stringent now? Than they were uh, you're when you started. Me? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. By all means, they're they're much more so. And each time there's a problem in the uh, somewhere in the United States or even Europe with different types of uh, harmful bacteria in the cheese. Of course, most notable is uh, listeria. But but each time there's a problem with this in an unpasteurized or raw cheese, that then the inspectors, if you are making raw cheese. The inspectors are very, very uh, uh, diligent in their work, and they want to see exactly what's going on. Uh, and I just, from my own personal uh, standpoint, I just felt that the gamble wasn't worth it. I'm making a fair amount of cheese, and I get it into the marketplace. If there's a recall, then that means a lot of product has to come back, even though uh, it might not be the date that would be contaminated. So. But I would just as soon not do that. Now, maybe from Yost's standpoint, uh, it's worth it. And, and I mean, it, everyone has a different viewpoint, and that's what makes a, a cheese counter with, you know, 100 different kinds of cheese. I, I, I definitely agree. Um, I always thought and I always was taught that uh, listeria and a lot of those things have to do with uh, with the cleanliness of the milk and the animals, how they're taken care of long before the, the milk ever gets brought to you. And uh, you know, as a raw milk cheesemaker, do you find that you're uh, scrutinized? Are you scrutinized heavily by the inspectors? Uh, by not by my state inspectors, definitely not. Really? No. Why do you think that is? Um, I think they think they have enough control over right. it, and um, I'm not exactly sure. Well, you make maybe it's because you make a. Uh, a, a tiny amount of cheese. They also, yes, I do. And um, but you also, I mean, you you are very particular about where you source your milk. Yes, and, uh, I get my milk from a very small dairy farmer who has uh, who works very clean, and his his milk is 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 just amazing, very clean, and, and it's great milk. I have to agree with that. Uh, when I was making cheese with Yos, he gave me a, a glass of it, and uh, I I actually am still thinking about how good that tasted to to this day. 
Um, but on a on a whole, I definitely I definitely can see uh, for you, Franklin, why it makes sense. Where do you uh, where do you source your milk? Have you guys been getting your milk from the same people for a long well, period of no, time? Well, no, it's varied. I mean, I you know, and during the spring and summer months, I'll make a sheep milk cheese and a goat's milk cheese, but that'll come from one dairy each, not not the same dairy necessarily. But uh, the cow's milk, we're now currently buying it from one herd, but in the past, we have gotten it from several different farms. Do you uh, are you breed specific in the? No. Oh, no. you want you are not. Okay, but yo, so you well, you buy from a mixed herd as well too, right? Uh, it's uh, Jersey and there's a few Holsteins in there. Yes. Cool. Um, do you buy a uh, 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 Franklin? As a matter of course, do you buy from the Rinconada dairy? Do you buy sheep? I do. Milk from a, yes, yeah. the sheep and the goat I get from Rinconati. Yep. <laughs> that's a that's fantastic cheese too. I somehow am able to get her to like send me some of that uh, at Italy in the in the summer when she has enough. Her cheese is really good too. She's mentioned that to me. Yes. Now she doesn't pasteurize any of her cheese. So so do you do you pasteurize her sheep? Well, milk? she does pasteurize some of it. Yes. Which ones? Uh, well, uh, I'm not quite sure. I think what you get maybe is that firm cheese uh, that she makes uh, that's not pasteurized yeah. she makes some fresh cheeses that of course are because they're sold relatively soon i um i wanted to no i had to mention that as soon because I, that was some of the best uh, sheep cheese i've had in a long time it was the one you was the one you gave me um i i actually was wondering too if you guys had um any sort of like what 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 would your challenges be Franklin, for you, like, what are the biggest challenges you face now as a cheesemaker? Is, um, is it consistency because you've made the... Well, I don't think it's consistency. I, I think uh, probably, um, you know, you're always faced with a number of challenges. If you're, your transportation is always a challenge, getting <clears throat> it out to the right people uh, at the right time, and the promotion of the cheese uh, is, is another great challenge. As far as the production goes, uh, I, I don't think that I've had a lot of problem uh, in the last some years, but th- that doesn't mean there won't be problems in the future. I mean, culture problems could develop. The culture that I'm using may, may have a problem with uh, but that there are many problems that could occur, but fortunately none for for a while. What do you What do you see as the biggest thing as a as a, a gentleman who's made cheese over over three decades? Um, what is what What kind of changes have you seen in the in the in the culture of uh, cheese making, and also in the culture of people who are cheese mongers? Yeah, the people well, who are buying it's a, your you cheese. know, it's a, that's a very interesting question. And, and to, to address the first question, the changes in the culture and cheese making, it's, it's enormous. As a, as a boy in the 50s, uh, going into my father where he was making cheese with his crew, uh, you know, the, the utensils that were used were all wooden. So you had wooden uh, rakes that you would stir the vat with. Uh, stainless had uh, had been around for a while, but and it, all the vats they were using were stainless. But uh, it hadn't been that many years before when they did away with the galvanized metal, uh, and and also um, 
that the labor was very cheap. So instead of agitators on the vat, you just had two men working the vat, one on either side. The culture was not purchased from a company. You, you might get the starter from a company, but then it was you had the mother culture that was done yeah. from day to day that carried forward, and you had a lot of culture problems. At least uh, in our factory, we used to have a lot of problems with, uh, with culture, uh, would it which just is die a out? contamination problem, oh. I would suspect, although I was too young to really uh, to, to, to get into it at that time. Uh, as far as the cheesemongers go, I can remember when I started making Telemy in 1980 that uh, there were hardly any specialty cheese shops and that 90% of my business went into the, the remnants of these Italian delis that were still in business from the time uh, of the 30s. And, you know, in a relatively short period of time, you had uh, everything from these very nice cheese stores to, to supermarkets that popped up with these full range of cheeses. Uh, I mean, and it became a separate business in a, in a, within 10 or 12 years. It was remarkable. When did that happen? Oh, I would say by the, uh, by the late 80s and into the early 90s was when I started to see this. And then there was a, an incredible boom in uh, cheesemakers. Yeah. There were actually very few of them, uh, even as early on as... I mean, as late as 1980, and certainly by the 60s, there were, I mean, during the 60s, there were hardly anybody making cheese here in California. I mean, a few factories. Then you, see, you saw this growth of mozzarella got very large. The Jack and Cheddar production got very large. Sure. And then the smaller factories that developed with these specialty cheeses. Uh, and, and so that's a tremendous transformation from... Even uh, 30 years ago, 35 years ago to, to today. I, I mean, I remember working in, in um, the mid-90s. There was uh, just a handful of uh, U.S. artisan cheesemakers that I could get. Um, I was working in, on the East Coast, and I could only get a couple of cheeses, yours being one of them. I would get cheese from, um, from, from Franklin's. I would get cheese from uh, Capriole. I would get cheese from... Um, Sally Jackson uh, cheeses, and uh, and from the East Coast, I would get them from the Westfield Farms and uh, and a couple of a couple of places. But there was there was there was like less than I would say less than a dozen that I could get on a consistent basis. And now it's true, you there there's a massive amount of cheese makers. Um, Mr. Volto, I would want to ask you before we go into our break, um, um, what's your what's your take on that? Is um, I mean. There are a lot of cheesemakers now. What do you, what what are, what's the culture of of individual and the culture of of cheesemaker that you deal with as a relatively new cheesemaker? Um, I think it's very um, we're quite supportive of each other, um, and I was. Let me go to another question. You are uh, you you asked. Um, Franklin sure. about the challenges. I thought sure. it was interesting. Yeah. Basically, everything I deal with because I'm such uh, young in the in the in this whole uh, business, this whole world. Everything I deal with is a big challenge for me. Why is that? Um, just figuring out my plant. Every time I uh, produce cheese, there's another challenge. 
the uh, sort of production, the marketing, the uh, consistency. Um, I've only been making cheese for the market almost a year now. So I'm almost through a season of milk and I almost see now a kind of circle of seasonality coming through sure. back from where I started a year ago. And and for you, I mean, it's obviously it has to do with the support. I mean, you're a, you're a one man gang up there. You know, you have a couple of uh, you have you have some helpers. But yes. I mean, Franklin, how many people do you have on staff making that cheese for you? Oh, I guess you know. I, I will say that I'm the only one that actually makes it. Yes. But I need probably a four four or more people that for the uh, auxiliary work you might say packaging and helping the load the cheese in the forms and that type of stuff for the hard work but, say that. but you have a you you, you don't have any you when you're talking about getting your cheese out there and uh, I finding, do it all myself. yeah finding new accounts um i think i think <laughs> you know yes. yeah yes. that that must be that must be a huge challenge for you i mean it is but it's um it's a fun challenge. Well, of course it is. You love it. You have yes. to. But but I mean, and that's a, that's a dollars that's a dollars issue. I mean, everything. Uh, Franklin, you spoke of uh, of of labor being uh, inexpensive back back when those guys were making cheese in the fifties. Correct. Yeah, uh, it was very. As I recall, it might have been as low as a dollar an hour or two dollars an hour, something like that. Wow, pe- people won't even. You can't. You couldn't pay a person to sleep for two dollars an hour in the United States at this point. You're right. <laughs> well, we're going to have to take a short break, but when we come back, we will continue to talk to Yos and Franklin about their experiences. Thank you very much. National Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at internationalculinarycenter.com. Hi there, guys. Welcome back. Um, we still have uh, Jos Volto. He hasn't left the studio yet. He's still here talking to us. I'm happy about that. And we still got Franklin. Franklin, you're still there, right? You're still- right. I sure am. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I, uh, I really liked the questions uh, that we were going into right, um, right, right as we went to the break uh, because I think that's when when – when I was thinking of, of why we were doing this, when I was brainstorming with my uh, with my producer um, who helps me in all things, uh, I was I was, you know, there, there's a as a cheese as a cheesemonger, uh, there's definitely for me I see a change in the culture of the people who sell cheese. And I also see the change in the culture of the people who make cheese. My job is to sell them. I deal with a lot of different people. I deal with old school people, and I deal with the new school people. Um, and I think that 
you know the established like I, I wonder if if a, if a cheesemaker uh, like your like yourself you know I wonder if if there if there's a a room or or if Americans are going to be able to do that generational uh, thing and pass on those trades to to their children I mean who's gonna who's who's gonna take over for you when you finally decide to put down the put down the the tools. Oh, you're asking me? I am. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, well, if you are, I can tell you that I, my son, I believe, will come into the business. But I, I will tell you also that my father was driving a forklift when he was 90. So yeah. while I may not live that So they're going to they're gonna drag I, you out of there, basically. Is that, is that, <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I love what I'm doing. Yeah. And truly, I say that with not any, you know, uh, uh, attempt to deceive. I, I love everything about the aspect of it. I, you know, I was thinking, well, several years ago, I thought that I even love the smell of the factory with the whey and the cheese in the morning when I come to work. Uh, and so, I mean, it's just part of my life. Yeah. Yost, do you love the state? I know you do. Do you oh, love I love it. It, the stank. <laughs> <laughs> it is that that I, I, I you know whenever I'm in those make rooms and it's just that that warm uh, that warm curd smell is like mm-hmm. it's like magic in there you know like those stinky cheeses yeah well they, they in, yeah I, I have to agree with that I I get very jealous of the fact that you are around that I mean I love the cheese smell in my own job but it's just different it's different. Um, so you, th- you said your son, uh, your son may take over for you, Franklin, when uh, when you decide. Yes, I would to... like that absolutely. There's... There are a couple of other cheeses that I'd like to come out with before uh, I'm finished, and and I think that I will be able to. So Yos, what um, what's um, what's the Volto Creamery? Who, who is the successor? Uh, who you know how 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 will we make sure that the Volto uh, Creamery always is making you know great washed rind cheese up there in upstate New York? I know you have a son that that is working in the cheese shop and working in the Bedford cheese shop. He had a little stint, indeed, in the Bedford cheese shop. A Uh, little stint? (laughs) If that... Whether that uh, is his future calling, I'm not so sure. Would you like him to do that? Um, I don't know. If he wants it, that's fine. If he doesn't want it, that's great, too. Well, is that because you like you commune like the you make cheese? That's that's an expression. It's, it's my passion, for you. yeah. And you know, I don't think certainly now it's certainly not his passion. He doesn't like he doesn't even like cheese. Really, <laughs> I find that that's. Uh, but does does he help you at all with the, with the, with the processes and the uh, some things? Some things. If I ask him to do something, yes, he would do it. I think but. that's. A, I think that's interesting and an interesting uh, statement on. On our culture in America, and like in, on how we are, I know that when my when I was growing up, I didn't know exactly what my father did, um, but I know he wasn't an artisan, you know, and um, um, he worked hard. But I definitely he his he told me, grow up and don't do what I do, you know, and um, <laughs> but I I don't, I don't know, and I think that uh, in America, I would opine that 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 that's a that's an issue with our culture, um, but. I mean, I guess to each our own. We do what we want here, you know. That's how, that's how, that's how we run. How we run um, our. That's how we run our nation, you know. It's um, we let it. We, we we just do it that way. Um, what new cheeses, uh, Franklin? Are you going to be coming out with? Uh, or, or well, do you know, I I with? have a washed rind telling me that I've been making for several years, maybe 
three years. Yeah, we and, get it and when I'd we like can. To, I'd like to make one that's a, that's a little bit longer term hold, like maybe, you know, now it's perhaps 35 days or so that I get the reddish texture on the outside from the bacterium linens that I use. Uh, I'd like to keep one maybe closer to 80 days and and uh, get that out on the market. So it would be a little stronger cheese. But the base recipe would be the same? Well, similar, yes. You'd cut the curds the same way. You wouldn't... Um you wouldn't uh, make, you wouldn't switch recipes uh, to make like an alpine cheese or anything like that? No, no. I think I might do a variation of the recipe that I have, but I certainly wouldn't do a radical departure. Yeah, that, uh, I mean, that's, yeah, your washed red cheese is fantastic. We love it. Well, thank you. <laughs> we love it. And, um, Yos, what about you? Um, I mean, you, you branched out a little bit, right? You make a little bit of harder cheese. Um, well, actually, I do make uh, not only a little bit, I've been making a, uh, a simple Tom style cheese for for a long time, but mainly that um, most of it I sell at uh, farmers market. Um, it's very popular; people like it, and it's so it's a good uh, it's a good cash flow cheese. When I spoke to you, and, and, it, and it's it's fairly easy to maintain in a cave, and it can be sold from either three months to six months. Yeah, you were speaking to me earlier in the day about um, how you really liked the the process of making uh, making Alpine cheese. Right. Why is that? I find the the transformation from fluid milk to a hard pressed sweet nutty cheese just amazing. The, the, the science of it or just the whole... Just the whole alchemistic uh, uh, transformation. Oh, yeah. And then the whole, yeah, thought about that. Franklin, what do you that. think about that? Do you, uh, do you, get, that, do you get that same, uh, that same buzz from, uh, from uh, making your telame? That he... I do. <laughs> I absolutely do. As, as long as I've made it and as often as I make it, each fat to me is uh, unique. It's, uh, it's very interesting and I was following with great interest what Yost was saying uh, about the sweet, nutty flavors of some cheeses. And it's, it is a remarkable thing. How do, you, how do you coax those flavors out of there, Yost? How do you get, those, how do you get that done? That's a secret. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But <laughs> it's just good milk. <laughs> but isn't that? It, I think isn't that what it is for for both of you guys? Um, is the quality of the milk? I mean, determines uh, the quality of your cheese in the oh, end. Definitely, correct? I think so. And uh, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. And, and both. So that. So that's a that. That's good. That's a, the vein, I guess, that runs through every generation. Thankfully, of cheesemaker. Yes. And. And so, just to, to speak, I know I asked you that already earlier, but so frankly, you said you buy from how many how many herds or how many different well, herds? Well, uh, today I'm only buying from one, but in the past I have gotten from several, and and they would come in and we'd mix them in the silos so we wouldn't segregate them out. Uh, I think in all the yes. time I've made telling me. I can never remember, at least offhand, where I thought one person's milk was vastly superior to another, because I mean they're all subjected to rather stringent uh, inspections by the, yeah, uh, the state board. people. Yeah, the dairy inspectors. So you know, I, I think generally speaking, 
Uh, I think, generally speaking, the quality of milk, and at least here in the United States, is very good. I, I, one of the things that surprised me was that, you know, for a brief time, I made cheese, tell me, in, uh, in Maine. And I actually, because of the various uh, differences in uh, feed between California, which is a dry, warm climate, uh, at least where I live, uh, it compared to uh, Maine, which is a very cool and... Uh, oh, yeah. I'm a New Englander. I know I what it's like up there. I thought for sure that there would be some, some, some taste in the milk that I could detect differences, but I couldn't. Yeah. I mean, that speaks to the uniformity of the products throughout the country. Yes, you, you wanted to ask a Yeah, I was just wondering how, how would you if, you, if you get milk from so many different farmers, how you keep your quality of the milk uh, in control? Uh, well, now, now let me see. You said you had a secret, so why can't I help? <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I um, did you so you, so you even when you changed it well yes I know you buy from I was in the barn where you buy your two that there are not a lot of animals there no um, and uh, you were saying that uh, I, where you you were uh, you were working with him you you it's it, when I was there it felt like you were sort of like you were you were managing that area somehow you had you had some sort of control over his uh over over i have suggested a few things yeah and he is taking the suggestions to heart the farmer yes yeah. and i appreciate that that's fantastic mm -hmm. and franklin i'm sure you have that same kind of relationship with all of the your dairy guys out there i mean right right i mean maine and cali are, are just i mean that's that, that's just uh opposite why why did you go back uh why did you go back to california um so did you did uh Because I didn't want to get a divorce. <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> well, my wife and children just didn't want to live in Maine. I mean, they all thought, they all agreed that Maine was a beautiful state, and if you had been born there, it would be great to grow up there. But there were, they didn't have any friends, and they didn't keep themselves busy in the cheese factory like I did. So that was a, it was a very uh, difficult transition. Well, Maine's beautiful. You know, winter is the nicest eight months of the year up there. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> cool. Um, well, Yost, do you have any parting uh, any parting words of wisdom for us? Are you asking me or you? Uh, I'm asking Yost, but I'm going to ask you as well. Okay, sure. I would say keep eating that great cheese. Yeah. Absolutely. And Franklin, uh, what about you, well, my friend? Well, that's great advice. And I, and I will say that, you know, I really think that in the years to come that there'll be even more cheeses, more varieties that will come out. I, I look for this country to be a great cheese producer, uh, more so than it already is, at least. We're well on our, on our way. Yeah, man, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Well, I want to say thank you to both of you guys, to Yos and to Franklin, and uh, thank you. Both of you make great cheese, and uh, I look I look forward to selling it when I can and eating it more, even than selling it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Cutting the Curd, and uh, we'll be back next week with more. Have a good one. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. 
You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.